1: the college football betting podcast i am your host aaron torres and if you're listening on the aaron torres podcast feed do not adjust your speed so we're going to go ahead and do something a little bit different this week i think most of you know how my schedule works but for those of you who don't here's the bottom line we do the aaron torres sports podcast every monday wednesday friday breaking down the biggest stories of the week in sports and then on friday i get my college football picks and previews We also do the college football betting show where we deep dive into all of the big games on Thursday. So what you are experiencing now, if you're listening on the Aaron Torres pod feed, what we decided to do, we are adding the college football betting podcast to the Aaron Torres podcast feed because this just feels like a weekend. I could not wait until Friday to preview these games. We got Florida State Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Ole Miss, Oregon, Colorado. So if you're listening on the Aaron Torres pod feed, this is the College Football Betting Show. We will have a normal Aaron Torres pod on Friday, so make sure you're subscribed there as well. And then for those of you on the College Football Betting Feed, normal show as always. If you're listening here, always appreciate your support. By the way, make sure to check out the Aaron Torres pod as well. And oh, by the way, for the the, the those of you who do subscribe to both, I apologize you got two, two podcasts today, but forgive me. We had to go ahead and put this one on the Aaron Torres pod feed. Before we get started, just a quick reminder. This is the College Football Betting Show. And if you do enjoy it, we do have a separate feed. Again, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you get podcasts. Also, we have a separate College Football Betting YouTube channel. We're just starting to build that one up. So I appreciate everybody's support. With that said, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into the games. Again, extended previews of all the big ones. And while there are a lot of very good games on the schedule, there is, in my opinion, only one place to start. It is beautiful. South Bend, Indiana. And it is beautiful, by the way. I've driven through South Bend, been to the campus, all that good stuff. Where Notre Dame and Ohio, I mean, that just sounds big, right? Ohio State, Notre Dame, and this year, this one is big. Two top 10 teams, two teams and two fan bases that I think legitimately have major, major aspirations. For Ohio State, it's national championship or bust every single year. Ryan Day says it all the time. But for Notre Dame, I think they really think they have something special brewing, and they have a national stage to show it this weekend. And I'll tell you, in the four-team college football playoff era, that's what stands out to me. Next year, either of these teams could lose this game. You move on, you bounce back, you get ready for the rest of the season. This one, your back is going to be against the wall the rest of the season if you lose, so let's break it down. I should mention, by the way, Ohio State, a three-point favorite in this one, the over-under at 55.5. And And what's interesting to me, I want to start with Ohio State. And if you listen to the Aaron Torres pod, I think most people know I'm not a huge Ryan Day guy. And I'm not anti-Ryan Day. I'm not fire Ryan Day. I'm not he's on the hot seat. I'm not he's the worst coach ever. But I do think he inherited a very good situation from Urban Meyer. I do think it has trended in the wrong direction over the last couple years. And I do think in big games, in big moments, Ryan Day has a lot of stuff to answer. Two straight losses to Michigan. Obviously, uh, a year ago did perform well in the playoff. But this is kind of an important year and an important game for him. Why I bring it up, I've actually been very impressed early with Ohio State. Now, week one, week two, they're going through the quarterback stuff. But I will tell you, I watched a lot of that Western Kentucky game a week ago. And I know it's easy to say it's Western Kentucky. Who cares? Torres, don't overreact. I thought it was a complete effort from Ohio State. And I think this might be the most balanced Ohio State team that I have seen since 2019 when Justin Fields, Chase Young, all of those guys led Ohio State to the college football playoff. In terms of Ohio State, I think a couple things stood out watching them last week. First off, now that Kyle McCord is the starter, that's where the focus is, right? We know who the quarterback is. But what stood out to me, their star running back, Travion Henderson, looks like the guy that he was two years ago, and their defense is really good. So Travion Henderson, remember, two years ago, 1,200 yards rushing as a true freshman. um, He broke many of Maurice Claret's records, which shows you how good he was, Last year, he's in and out of the lineup all year with injuries, can't quite get right. Well, last week against Western Kentucky, that was the best performance that I have seen from him in a long time. Uh, 88 yards, 13 or so carries, about six yards per carry, two touchdowns. He looks like that dude again. And then again, the defense I find to be very good. Now you've played Indiana, you've played Youngstown State, and you've played Western Kentucky. At the same time, keep in mind, Western Kentucky is a real, real offense that moves the ball and has had uh, great success passing the ball over the last couple years. So I bring it up to say they held Western Kentucky under 300 yards of total offense. And on the year, this is what you need to know about the Ohio State defense. Number three in the country in total defense. Number two in scoring defense. Number seven in pass defense. So they have been very, very, very good early. Second year with the new coordinator, Jim Knowles. From the Notre Dame perspective, I think we know the narrative, right? Like, it's something we talked about all offseason. It's something we talked about in the preseason. If you remember, Sam Hartman was my preseason Heisman pick, and it was for the reasons that we are seeing now. Notre Dame, four years. We knew what Notre Dame was really for about the last decade, once Brian Kelly really got it rolling in the you know early to mid part of the last decade. They're going to run the ball. They're going to have great offensive line play. They're going to play great defense, and they're going to win a lot of games. But in those elite games, in those elite moments, do they have the dudes on the outside, and do they have the quarterback, and they really haven't had that guy? No disrespect to Ian Book. No disrespect to Jack Cohn. All of those guys, they just haven't had that dude at quarterback. Well, they got him this year in Sam Hartman. Notre Dame played in week zero, so they have played four games, but through four games, 71% completion percentage for Sam Hartman, 10 TDs, zero interceptions. The competition admittedly hasn't been great, but you could argue Hartman's best game was in the biggest moment so far. Go on the road, beat North Carolina State at North Carolina State. Sam Hartman, four touchdowns in that game. But I also think what's worth noting in this one is that it's also the run game has not suffered at all. 28th nationally in rushing, averaging over 200 yards per game for Notre Dame. So finally, the balance that we have been waiting for has arrived at Notre Dame. And I think it'll be fascinating to watch everything unfold on Saturday night. Now, what's interesting to me about this game, I actually think it is not going to play out the way that a lot of people think. I think everyone thinks, you know, Ohio State, million points, Marvin Harrison Jr., all that good stuff. Something stands out to me watching college football this year is that one, I do think that most coaches are not putting young quarterbacks in harm's way. In other words, you're on the road, play it conservative, even when you're at home, even when you don't have a young quarterback. If you don't have that dude, if you don't have Caleb Williams, Shador Sanders, Quinn Ewers, think about how Billy Napier used Graham Mertz last week. Think about how Nick Saban has tried to use his quarterbacks unsuccessfully. I bring it up because when I look at Ohio State, I could see the scenario where they really want to rely on the run game and the defense to win this game more than putting it all on Kyle McCord's shoulders. Now, if you're successful in the run game, you know what that opens up the pass game, obviously. But I don't see this being the shootout that everybody expects it to be. A lot of money coming in on the over. I don't see that. I don't see like a 37-31 Sam Hartman duels the Ohio State offense. Marvin Harrison has 310 yards receiving. Like That's not the game I see. I think it's more low scoring. I think both teams rely on their offensive line, their defenses in this game, especially Ohio State on the road, especially Ohio State with a quarterback in Kyle McCord that is admittedly making his fourth career start, but it's really basically the second or third when you factor in that he was splitting reps. Now, in terms of a pick for this game, one thing about the college football betting pod is, listen, we all love throwing a couple bucks on all these games, but I will always be honest and transparent with you. And if there is not a strong side that I feel about these games, I am not going to tell you, hey, I'm taking Notre Dame this, I'm taking Ohio State that. And this is one... I actually don't have a strong opinion and I will not be bent. I know it's not sexy. I know it's not the most fun conversation to have, but listen, I I work hard for my buddy like everybody else. And when I look at this game, I could see it going so many different directions. I could see Ohio State's defense being phenomenal and elite. The team that I saw last week against Western Kentucky, great guys on the, the defensive line and the linebackers and defensive backs are very fast. That was what stood out to me. And I could see Notre Dame in a year where they haven't faced a lot of great defenses so far, especially past defenses, really struggling with that. I could see Ohio State moving the ball. I could see Ohio State hitting Marvin Harrison with a couple big plays. And all of a sudden, you know, a close game becomes one-sided because Marvin Harrison is Marvin freaking Harrison. And he has one, you know, he takes a a, a slant route, an eight-yard slant, 92 yards for a touchdown. So I could see that scenario. I could also see the scenario where Notre Dame, with the better quarterback, is able to move the ball on Ohio State, the best quarterback that Ohio State has certainly faced all year, and they're able to put up points. And Kyle McCord, the, the the redshirt, I guess, sophomore quarterback, it's his third year in the program, first major, major test. I could see the scenario where he struggles. I could see the scenario where they don't establish the run game. Notre Dame gets ahead and Notre Dame never falls behind. And so I could see a plethora of scenarios in this game. And because of it, I'm not going to bet it. If I gave you an unofficial pick, I'd lean Notre Dame. And it's for the simple fact of better, uh, better quarterback home environment. That's usually a pretty good side. Like if you have the better quarterback and you're at home and most of the rest of the talent is pretty even. It usually favors the team with the significantly better quarterback, at least at this point in their careers. So my unofficial pick, I'll say 31 to 28 Notre Dame. I don't feel great about it. I will not be betting it. I lean Notre Dame, but if Ohio State wins this game, it would not shock me. And by the way, again, I've been critical of Ryan Day, but if Ohio State loses this game, this isn't going to be the one where you tune into Monday's Aaron Torres pod. And I'm shredding Ryan Day unless his team looks completely unprepared. Whatever. Let's move on to ironically, you know this is a crazy weekend in college football when we have five matchups of ranked opponents and one of them is not Clemson-Florida State. Florida State goes to Clemson. How about this? Florida State on the road is actually a a two-and-a-half point favorite in this game. The over-under in this game is set at 56. And beyond that, I would also say not only is it crazy – that uh this game is a uh is is, is a matchup of not ranked opponents because Clemson's not ranked right now, but also it's a noon Eastern kickoff. That shows you the Dion effect because they wanted Colorado, Oregon at 330. And that shows you the effect of them not wanting to them being ESPN, not wanting to go head to head with Notre Dame and Ohio State, maybe the two biggest brands in all of college football. Now, in terms of this game, listen you know what the narrative on these two teams has been so far. Florida State, in my opinion, probably, especially after what happened to Alabama last weekend, I think you could say that Florida State probably has the most impressive win of the college football season. Early in the year, in Orlando, neutral site against an LSU team that has looked awesome in their other two games, Florida State ran away from them. Now it was close, going into halftime, coming out of the third quarter, Florida State, that 31 to nothing run, Um, for the victory. But then I think one night later, that was also the other big storyline of week one. As good as Florida state looked, Clemson looked just as bad. You don't need me to tell you 28 to seven was the final score at Duke. Now Duke's a good football team. Mike Elko's a good football coach, but when you're Clemson, that is not a loss you can take. And now it sets the stakes for this game. So high as Clemson comes in at two and one Florida state three and oh, Florida State admittedly coming off a not great performance against Boston College. But here's the bottom line. They were up like 31 to 10 at one point. Jordan Travis gets a little bit banged up. They get a little conservative. I am not worried about that. What I will say, though, is that while Ohio State-Notre Dame is the biggest game of the weekend, and I would guess that you know Colorado-Oregon will be one of the most watched along with Notre Dame-Ohio State, Um, I think this one's the most interesting from this perspective. I think there is so much on the line for Clemson, and I don't think anyone in college football has more to gain or more to lose in this game than Dabo Sweeney. First of all, part of it is like the just the the hierarchy of a college football season in the last year of a 14 playoff. The idea that um, Clemson already has one loss in the regular season, one loss in ACC play. You lose a second game here. You're almost certainly not making the playoff, and it's going to be very hard to even get into the ACC championship conversation. Keep in mind, Clemson still has to play at floor, uh, at Miami, excuse me, at North Carolina, Notre Dame at home. You lose this one, you get embarrassed. It could be a long season at Clemson. But really, to me, that's what also makes this so interesting, because it's not just about Clemson. If they If they lose, what about this? Florida State, if they lose, then all of a sudden, their season is going in a different direction. What's interesting about this game, as I said, there is no one in college football that has more to lose in this game or more to gain, by the way, than Dabo Sweeney, because to me, this isn't just a a, a game with a result and a winner and a loser. This to me is an entire indictment on who Dabo Sweeney is and how he runs his college football program. I think if you're a college football fan, you probably know what I'm talking about. But for people who are confused, let me explain. Dabo Sweeney, more than anyone in college football, maybe the only guy left, right? That is just super anti-NIL, super anti-transfer portal, specifically the transfer portal. And I've said this a million times, but there were a lot of coaches when the transfer portal first started that were not fans that eventually realized, you know what? If I want to win at the highest level, I have to do this. John Calipari was outspoken against it. Tom Izzo was outspoken against it. Nick Saban was outspoken against it. And eventually they realize, like, you know what? I might not like this rule. And John Calipari even said this. John Calipari said, I don't like the rule, but my job is not to make rules. My job is to do what is best for Kentucky basketball. I got to start hitting the transfer portal. And Dabo Sweeney is the last remaining holdout that is not and refuses to hit that portal. And so I bring it up because if he wins this game, then, hey, I told you my way works. But if you lose this game to this Florida State team, it is really, really, really bad and a big indictment on the way you're doing things. Why is that? It's because this Florida State team has be- been built almost exclusively through the portal. This Florida State team, just think about this roster. Jordan Travis, transfer from Louisville. Keon Coleman, the leading receiver, transfer from uh, Michigan State. Second uh, second best receiver, Johnny Wilson, transfer from Oregon. Uh, Jaheem Bell, tight end transfer from South Carolina, Jared verse transfer from Albany on the defensive uh, uh, defensive line. They're basically their entire team was built through the transfer portal. And if they go to your place and smack you around, I think that fan base is if they haven't already, there is going to be some real tension with that fan base and Dabo Sweeney. And so that's why this game is so interesting. And I'll be honest, didn't have a pick for Ohio state, Notre Dame. I do have a pick here. I like Florida state and it's for that reason. I don't love taking road favorites or uh yeah, road favorites, especially in hostile environments. But when I look at this game, this is what stands out. Florida state looks more like Clemson at this point than Clemson. And I was thinking about this in the lead up to the game I was texting My buddy, Jake Fagus, who writes at Aaron Torres online. I said, Where does Clemson? We're talking little old Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, multiple college football playoff appearances, multiple national championships. Where does Clemson have an advantage here? Let's just go position group by position group. Florida State has the better quarterback. Florida State definitely has the better wide receivers. Florida State has the better offensive line. Florida State has the best edge rusher in this game. Florida State has the, you know, secondaries a little bit of a question mark. Clemson has spots where they're good, but that Their running backs are good, but I don't know if the offensive line can block for them. And beyond that, the defensive front is good, but this is the best offensive line they will see all year. And so I like Florida State because I'll be honest, I thought I've thought about this all week. Outside of something crazy happening, a bunch of uh, 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 a bunch of turnovers from Florida State. That's not who they've been. Jordan Travis being more hurt than we realize he got banged up in the Boston College game. Mike Norvell said this week that he's fine. Assuming there's nothing crazy, what is Clemson's path to winning this game? Don't have the better quarterback, at least not that we've seen. Don't have the better skill position, guys. Don't have the better offensive line. The defensive front's going up against a very good offensive line in Florida State's own right. Where is the spot that Clemson can win? Because I don't trust Cade Klubnick, the, the, the quarterback. And keep in mind, too, he, he listen, everybody looked really bad against Duke. But it's worth noting from Clemson's perspective, even in their win last week against Florida Atlantic, they won 48 to 14, but it wasn't like they blew Florida Atlantic off the field with talent. They had 68 more yards of total offense. They had 204 yards passing. They did run the ball pretty effectively, but it's not as though in that win, they just blew them off the field with talent and athleticism. And it goes back to something Tom Luganville said during the Clemson Duke game. He said, I'm sitting here on the field, and the size-speed athleticism for Clemson versus Duke, it's pretty much the same. There isn't a substantial advantage in size-speed athleticism for Clemson. And so when I don't think they have the better skill position, guys, I know they don't. When their offensive line is a mess, where how do they get this win? I just don't know unless Cade Klubnick is way better than we expect or something crazy happens with turnovers from the Florida State perspective. And so because of it, I honestly think this game is going to go a lot like Florida State LSU, and I actually think Florida State is really actually kind of built to win in these environments. Even though it's a noon kickoff, it'll be a tough environment. Florida State, that offensive line can just wear on you. Remember, they had the number one rush offense in the ACC last year. Think about Jordan Travis. We think about the wide receivers. That offense is going to wear a lot of people out. Great offensive line, run the ball at you, and then those wide receivers are just so tough to contend with. Now, Clemson's defensive back play has been good. They haven't faced anything like Florida State. They won't face anything like Florida State all year. So my official pick in this game, I think Florida State wins and wins convincingly. I think Clemson can keep it close based on their defense for a half. I think Florida State pulls away. I am going to say a final score of 27 to 14. I'm going to say that Florida State covers. I'm going to take the under in this game as well. And I'll tell you this. If this game goes down the way that I think it will, Dabo Sweeney is going to have some really, really tough questions to answer come really Saturday. I was going to say come Monday, but they're going to have tough questions come Saturday. You know that, that Twitter page, Message Board Geniuses? Make sure to be checking that page there on Saturday afternoon and evening because it's about to get crazy. All right, let's wrap the opening segment of this show. You know, Liz, you can't go a college football segment without talking Coach Prime Colorado and Oregon. So Colorado is traveling to Oregon. Oregon is a 21-point favorite in this game. The over-under is 70-and-a-half. And I will tell you this, no matter who wins, no matter who loses, there are going to be some takes coming out of this game. Because if Oregon wins, and Oregon wins in convincing fashion, everybody that's doubted Coach Prime, doubted color oh we told you so wait until they face a real team and if colorado somehow wins oh my goodness it will be insanity now in terms of this game let, let, me, let me start with colorado again oregon is a 21 point favorite part of the reason so i think anybody who listens to this podcast to the aaron torres podcast knows like i'm am a I'm a coach prime guy but part of why i'm a coach prime guy I actually think he's doing a very good coaching job with this roster. Remember three and a half wins was the over under win total. And as good as Shador Sanders has been as good as Travis Hunter was pre injury. And we did the whole thing with Hunter Blackburn. We don't have to relitigate all that. This team still has a lot of holes and a lot of problems. And so I think coach prime is doing an incredible job. You know who else I think is unbelievable. It's Shador Sanders, not just because he's statistically putting up great numbers, but it's because His team needs him to put up great numbers. Okay, so first of all, Shador Sanders, this season, right now, he he has the number two most passing yards in college football behind only Michael Penix. Not bad. 78% completion percentage. That is absurd. 10 touchdowns, one interception. Here's the crazy part, though. It's not just that he's putting up stats. It's that he's putting up stats, and his team absolutely needs them because right now they're not running the ball. They're not blocking for him. And at least statistically, the defense isn't playing very well. I'm going to give you some stats. I think that are going to blow you away in terms of what I'm talking about with this whole situation. When I say Shador Sanders is has a lot on his plate, listen to this. Okay. Colorado right now, there's 100, what, 31, 33, 133 maybe Division one teams. Let me look that up real quick. There's 133 Division one teams this year. Right now, Colorado is 129th in rushing. Not ideal. They also rank 130th out of 133 teams and sacks allowed. They've given up 18 sacks in three games. So Shador Sanders doesn't have a lot of time in the pocket is getting hit. The run game isn't helping him. Everything that he's doing, we have to give him credit for because it is that easy back there. Now the defense statistically has been really bad as well. I think in that case, the numbers are lying a little bit now in terms of that, that Colorado defense, The the, statistically Colorado is 125th in total defense out of 133 teams. Their scoring defense right now is 105th out of 133 teams. But I do think that number is a little deceptive. Let me tell you why. The TCU game, obviously TCU moved the ball pretty much at will. But Nebraska, I thought they did a pretty good job. Jeff Sims certainly didn't help things, but Nebraska never got going offensively. And then last week against Colorado State, I think it's easy to have this perception of how it was. But Colorado State scored 14 points early, another touchdown in overtime. And then from there, really didn't do that much for quarter number two, three, and four. So I actually think the defense hasn't been as bad as people think. And Shador Sanders, to his credit, has been awesome. Now, in terms of Oregon, I'll be honest, I I, I think we're going to learn a ton about Oregon this year. Now, to be clear, I'm an Oregon guy. I picked him to win the Pac-12. I thought they'd go about 10-2. and I think they're a really good team but I don't think there's really much you can take out of their first three games. Game one, they beat Portland State 81-7. to Not sure there were a bunch of takeaways you could take away on a pen and paper there. Game two, they do win at Texas Tech. I don't want to take away from that because Texas Tech is a very good football team. But you go back and look at that game. That was a game for the Oregon Ducks. They trailed late. They ended up winning 38-30. to But keep in mind, you go back to that game. They were trailing third... What were they trailing? They were trailing 28... I'm looking at this really quick. They were trailing 27-18 to going into the fourth quarter, outscored Texas Tech 20-3 to from there. So it's not as though they blew Texas Tech out. Now, Texas Tech is a tough place to play. I'm not trying to discredit them. But Oregon rallied to win that game. And then as importantly... Texas Tech basically went score for score with them point for point, uh, 456 yards of total offense, 472 yards in that game. So it's really pretty hard at this point to make any definitive statements on Oregon so far. One thing I can tell you is a couple of things, basically the only thing that I can tell you, Bo Nix is picking up right where he left off last year. And again, I know the competition has been bad. Uh, Portland State and Hawaii, go ahead and call it a Mickey Mouse schedule. You know, we, we had the Mickey Mouse bubble NCAA, uh, NBA uh, championship. They've had the Mickey Mouse schedule so far. But Bo Nix has been really awesome. 893 yards passing, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Like Shador Sanders, 77% completion percentage. So he's been awesome. But I think outside of that, it's hard for me to gauge too much about this team. What do we know really about Oregon? So I look at this team and this is what I see. I, I do know that Bo Nix is good. The skill position talent is good, but are, have they been as productive as they are because Oregon is that good or just the competition has been that bad, averaging almost seven yards per carry on offense? And then here's the other stat that I find very interesting, okay? And again, I know most of uh, Oregon's defensive points allowed came in that game against uh, against Texas Tech uh, late in the, uh, uh, two weeks ago, Okay. But here's why I bring it up. This, to me, is very interesting. So last year, Oregon, this offense was explosive with Bo Nix. The offense was fantastic. The defense wasn't good. And specifically, they were not great at getting to the quarterback. This offseason, Oregon went out of their way in both the transfer portal and in the high school ranks to go out and get difference makers on the edge. Jordan Burch, transfer from South Carolina. Uh, Mateo Uyangalele, the brother of DJ, came in as a five-star recruit. Here's what's interesting to me. Here is what is interesting to me. As I enter this game, for, uh, Oregon has 15 tackles for loss in three games. That ranks in the 90s nationally, and they have just six sacks in three games. And remember, they played Portland State and Hawaii amongst those three games. And so on the one hand, you could probably sit there and say, well, you know, was that, were they just not showing much against inferior competition? That's certainly possible. But what if they can't get to the quarterback? What if they can't get to Shador Sanders? And what if you give Shador Sanders time in that pocket? Now, obviously, this game's a little bit different. There will be no Travis Hunter. We wish him a speedy recovery. I think that goes without saying. But I just sit there and say, I do have a pick on this game. And it's funny because I made my picks at Aaron Torres online and I didn't like a side. I think... Colorado coverage. I can't pick them to win. Now to keep, keep in mind, by the way, I've had Colorado's back throughout this season. Thought they could upset TCU thought for sure. They were going to beat Nebraska and cover. I thought they'd handle business last week against Colorado state. I don't think they're quite ready to go on the road to Eugene and win this game. I found it very interesting. So there was a, a, a little narrative that came out this week about Shador Sanders, potentially returning for another year of college football. I went back and watched the video posted by uh, well-off media. uh, Yeah, well-off media, which is Deion Sanders Jr. runs that. And you can see in those meeting rooms, Coach Prime is worried that his team isn't ready, that they're enjoying the fruits of success too much without realizing the work that has to go in. I find it very hard that they're going to be able to go to Eugene and win this game. I do think they cover, though. I think Oregon wins maybe like 40... Say 42 to 27 floor uh Oregon wins, Colorado covers. That is my official pick. But listen, if you, I don't what I what I do not think is gonna happen, if you're one of those people that's waiting on Colorado to fall flat, I don't think that's gonna happen. Well coached, great quarterback. And I don't know that Oregon is the team to do it, but I do think Colorado covers, even if Oregon wins. All right, so what we're gonna do take a quick break when we come back. Woo! You think we're done? We're just getting started. Bama Ole Miss, Uh, A&M Auburn. And then we'll hit on some of the other ones, Kentucky, Vandy, uh, UCLA, Utah. If if you bet UCLA, Utah, you're just a sicko because that's going to be a tough one to gauge. Quick break. Be right back. Learn more at marines.com. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, Let's get to the rest of the week four slate. Quick reminder, by the way, if you're listening to this on the Aaron Torres podcast feed, you can also make sure to check out all of our game previews, the college football betting show that's available on Apple, Spotify, Amazon music, et cetera, every Thursday. And Oh, by the way, also, we have our own YouTube channel where we not only post shows, but we post individual games. Uh, and we actually do some games that don't always end up making it on the show. So make sure to follow on the YouTube channel as well. Let's keep it going. Let's go down to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where we have a top 20 matchup between Ole Miss and Alabama. Alabama is at home. They are a seven-point favorite, over-under set at 55.5. And, and an SEC home opener with a top 20 team in town is supposed to be a grand celebration, excitement, enthusiasm, yet it's all doom and gloom in Alabama, and it's because of the quarterback situation. Now, at this point, we've talked about it a lot, especially on the Aaron Torres pod. I'm not going to go through everything again, but it's worth noting, listen, we know how it went down. Jalen Milrow started the season. He's benched after the Texas game. Tyler Buckner takes his place against South Florida. Tyler Buckner gets benched in the South Florida game. Ty Simpson replaces him. Then Ty Simpson gets benched for Jalen Milrow, going into this game. And so a lot of people have had kind of just different takes on what may have happened. Is Jalen was Jalen Milro suspended for a game. Did the locker room revolt after he got benched and now Nick Saban was forced to put him back in. I don't think it's anything like that. I think what, what has happened is Nick Saban has realized that the way that he planned to win games this year is not going to happen. And because of it, he has to change his style of play, change his quarterback once again. What I believe that Nick Saban learned coming out of South Florida is four things, most of which anyone who's a college football fan, anyone who was watching the game could kind of tell the offensive line, at least right now can't pass block. I'm not an offensive line expert. I will leave it up to the experts, Cole Kublick, Jeff Schwartz, whomever to determine what is going on and why it has been so bad. It's not good though. And because of it, I think what Nick Saban realizes is a couple additional things. One, he's going to have to rely on his defense. His defense is good. I know it's easy to criticize them after the Texas game. Remember, Alabama was leading going into the fourth quarter of that game. Alabama had a lead in the fourth quarter. Alabama's defense held Texas to 13 points going into the fourth quarter before they eventually just ran out of gas and Texas was able to make some plays. Defense is good. O-line not good. Jalen Milrow, most importantly, if the O-line isn't good, if they can't pass protect, Jalen Milrow can at least make plays with his feet, can keep the chains moving, can keep defenses honest, can throw the deep ball. These things all matter. And then I think the other thing that no one's talking about that I guarantee you after this game, people are going to start. I believe that Nick Saban sees this new clock rule, the rule in which the, the clock does not stop after first downs. And I believe he is ready to exploit that. And the one thing about Nick Saban that that I think we give him credit for, but it is worth mentioning Nick Saban, I think one of his greatest gifts among the many great gifts that he has is that he is great at learning the rule book, learning new rules and figuring out ways. I don't want to say to manipulate or to take advantage of them, but to within the rules, take advantage of you go back a decade. Does anyone besides me remember gray shirts? For those of you under 20 gray shirts were essentially when you recruited a recruiting class you could sign guys in a class and then not enroll them until January. And so they wouldn't count for that class. Okay. So you could sign 32 guys, but as long as only 25 of them showed up on the first day that players could report, you could have five, six, seven, that counted towards the next class. And so that was a way that Nick Saban manipulated the system at the time rule gets changed. You can only sign 25 guys. Remember Nick Saban was the guy that was outspoken about the, the, old clock rules about tempo and speed and this and that. What does he do? He goes and hires Nick uh, uh, Lane Kiffin to be his offensive coordinator. Let's keep it going. Didn't like the transfer portal. Then he took advantage of it. Didn't like NIL building that infrastructure out. So I believe Nick Saban, what he sees right now is another opportunity to take advantage of a new rule to use Jalen Milrow as a running quarterback, pick up first downs, chew up the clock. He, his old line can't pass protect. This is how he has to win games. Now, from the Ole Miss perspective, this game will be fascinating because Ole Miss is one of those teams, they look great on paper. You look at the stats and the numbers and the this and that, you say, oh, my goodness, they're coming to Tuscaloosa to win this game. I'm not so sure because while the numbers look great, and they do, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, through three games, the number four scoring offense in all of college football, 3 games, 73 points against uh Mercer to open the season, 37 against Tulane, 48 against Georgia Tech. Number 4 scoring offense, number 11 total offense. What's interesting about this team though is if you break it down further, it hasn't been that easy. Took care of Mercer no problem. That Tulane game. Remember, they were playing a backup quarterback at Tulane. It was a 17-17 game going into the fourth quarter. I believe I could be mistaken on this. Ole Miss, I believe, actually trailed at the half. It was 17-17 going into the fourth quarter. They end up pulling away at Tulane. Last week against Georgia Tech, I'll be honest, I had this game on. I was watching this game. And Ole Miss, like, it was 17-3 to in the third quarter. I turned it off. They ended up scoring 31 points in about the final 20 minutes, last couple minutes of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. So this isn't a team that is just blowing people out. I think this is a team that they're actually relying on their defense. Their offense hasn't been great, and because of it, I do think they'll be tested against this Alabama defense. That's pretty good. And so, when I look at this game, I don't think it's high scoring, and I don't think Alabama is at a disadvantage. Now, it's going to look different than it did even two weeks ago when Jalen Milrow started against Texas. I think Nick Saban's going to take the air out of the ball. I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to rely on that defense, and I think they're going to wait for Ole Miss to make mistakes something they have traditionally done when they went, when they've gone to Tuscaloosa Lane Kiffin, remember went for a million fourth downs a few years ago in what ended up being a blowout loss. And so I think the same thing happens here. I think it's close. I think it's low scoring. I think Alabama wins, but my best bet for this game is actually the under the under is 55 and a half. And I think this is super low scoring. I think Alabama wins somewhere in the neighborhood of like 21, 14, 21, 17, chew up the clock, take advantage of the rules. I like the under, and I like an Alabama win straight up. Won't be touching the spread, though. Let's keep it going. Another super interesting SEC game. Noon Eastern, 11 Central in College Station, Texas. As Hugh Freeze, his first game as an SEC head coach, obviously since leaving Ole Miss. He's back at Auburn. Auburn's 3-0. and They're going to College Station, as I just said, to take on the Texas A&M Aggies. Texas A&M a seven and a half point favorite in this game over under set at 51 and a half. And what I would just say about this game, this is kind of the Jimbo Fisher kind of crapper get off the pot game right now. Now you would argue that probably happened three years ago, but the bottom line is we know what was at stake for Jimbo Fisher coming into this season, right? Really bad season. You're probably going to lose your job. Decent season. You might keep it, but you're on thin ice. And so after that Miami game, I think Jimbo Fisher's officially like out of excuses. He was out of excuses coming into the year, but now he definitely is. You're at home. You're playing a first year head coach uh, in the SEC rebuilt roster. This is a game you have to win. And I think more importantly, if you don't win this game, it's hard to see the pathway to Jimbo Fisher having the kind of season that will satisfy his fan base. Texas A&M obviously will have uh, Arkansas, Jerry World in a week, Alabama at home. Um, They'll have LSU at LSU later in the year, at Tennessee later in the year. So there aren't, the way the SEC is going, a lot of unwinnable games. But if you lose this one, I don't know if you can recover from it. The good news is for Texas A&M, at the very least, Connor Wigman is a dog, right? Uh, Texas A&M, I think they've been waiting for that special, special quarterback for a while now. Uh, Kellen Mond was good, but I don't know that anyone would call him special. Connor Wigman has a chance to be special last week. It was admittedly Louisiana Monroe, but 29, 25 of 29, 337 yards passing five yards per carry on the ground for the run game. Ruben Owens, the five-star running back seemed to have a breakout game. So overall that offense clicked very well against Louisiana Monroe. I think the big thing though, it's not really the offense. The offense was okay against Miami. They weren't great, but the problem was the defense. We all watched that Miami, Texas A&M game and it was ugly. Tyler Van Dyke obviously just exposed them, but overall, and we talked about this on the Aaron Torres pod, it was just such a disappointing effort, not just because you lose, but how you played, gave up 374 yards passing, as I said, what five touchdown passes to Tyler Van Dyke. And more importantly, there were those moments where it felt like Texas A&M quit. And so this is kind of a statement game for Texas A&M from that perspective as well. Not only who are you as a team win losses, but who are you as a program? What is your identity? Because you kind of quit in a lot of games last year, and you definitely quit against Miami this year. Now, the good news for Texas A&M, listen, I like Hugh Freeze. I've had Hugh Freeze on the Aaron Torres pod. I think he is a hell of a football coach. I also think he is at a major, major talent disadvantage, okay? Remember, Brian Harson basically stopped recruiting when he was at Auburn, really two cycles ago, but then he definitely wasn't recruiting last year. And so Hugh Freeze gets in, and it is bottom of the barrel, and you can just tell by who's playing for Auburn this year. Peyton Thorne, their quarterback, is a transfer. Two of their top three receivers, Rivaldo Fairweather, a tight end, and also Shane Hooks from Jackson State, of all places, both transfers. Keep in mind, also, most of that offensive line is rebuilt. And so you look at this Auburn thing. I like Hugh Freeze. I think he gets them going. But this is a work in progress, and I think we saw it two weeks ago when they went to Cal. I know it was a weird game late at night. It was, you know, a 10, Pacific, uh, 10 Eastern nine central kind of sit around the hotel all day kind of game. But Auburn was lucky to get away with a win in that game. They finished with just over 200 yards of total offense, 94 yards passing. Um, Basically they used last week against Sanford, basically as a, a seven on seven passing, you know, kind of clinic. They just basically passed the ball a bunch to get into a rhythm for the quarterback. So this Auburn team, they're going to get there eventually. Hugh Freeze is already recruiting very well for 2024. You know he'll be successful in the portal, but I just don't know that he has the dudes this year. By the way, you know who else kind of doesn't know if he has the dudes this year? Hugh Freeze. I found this quote from him earlier in the week. I found it very interesting. He said, I'm probably too candid and honest sometimes for some people. Let's just be really clear. You're playing the best recruits in the nation. We're going to have to go in there soon. We're going to be there soon, excuse me. And that doesn't mean you can't compete and win the game. But there's a reason that they are third in the nation on third down defense. They've got a bunch of five stars in the defensive line and at linebacker and at safety and at corner. They are really, really talented. And so I just bring it up because I think even Hugh Freeze knows the task at hand that will be going on at Texas A&M. A&M has the better quarterback. They have the better athletes on defense. Now it's on them to produce. It's on DJ Durkin to put them in position to succeed. They have the home field advantage. And one thing about A&M fans, I give them so much credit. Even in the dark times, they show up and they support their team. And lastly, I found something else interesting too. It's going to be over a hundred degrees in college station on Saturday. It's going to be over hundred degrees, which probably means it's like a, a buck 20, a buck 30 on the field. That's a lot for an Auburn team that just doesn't have that many bodies. I'm actually going to take Texas A&M to win and to cover. I'll say 31 to 14 as a final score. Jimbo Fisher, you lose that game. Don't even bother going to the locker room. Just, just go straight to your car, get in the car and drive. But I think they win and get this victory. Let's wrap with a couple other games. I'm not going to do extensive previews on these. We'll just rip through them really quick. Uh, let's just stay in the SEC, get to a bunch of them. Arkansas is at LSU. LSU is a 17 and a half point favorite in the golden boot game. I think LSU wins, but I think Arkansas covers. Okay. So Arkansas last week lost to BYU. Totally fluky game in which Arkansas outgained BYU by like 150 yards. The problem was they could not stop committing penalties. 15, 14 penalties, excuse me, well over 100 yards in penalty yardage, but they were pretty good in a lot of other places. I think Arkansas wins, or excuse me, take, take that back. I think Arkansas covers because while they probably weren't as bad as they looked last week, I also don't think LSU was as good as they looked last week. I watched that entire game. Um, I may have had the under in the game against uh, Mississippi state. And I was frustrated because Jaden Daniels could not miss. And I think that was on Mississippi state, which we'll get into in a minute, but I just bring it up because I don't think LSU is quite as good as they look last week. I think Mississippi state's defense is that bad. Jaden Daniels, 30 of 34 passing Malik neighbors had 239 yards receiving. That's all you need to know. A wide receiver had 239 yards receiving basically on all deep balls, Mississippi state could not defend them. So I think LSU wins. I'll say kind of similar to that, that score I just gave for a and I'll say 31 to 21 or something. But I think this is a little bit more competitive than people give it credit for. Keep it going. I just mentioned Mississippi State. They stink. Listen, I- I've already talked about it. Zach Arnett, their new head coach, takes over for Mike Leach. It's an awful situation. You feel terrible. I'm not trying to belittle how he got the job. But two things stand out about that team. One, he completely went away from the air raid, which makes zero sense to me. You have one of the most prolific quarterbacks in college football. You have a, an entire roster that's recruited to that system. Why are you going away from what has made you successful? So that's one. And two, if you're going to go away from that, you better be darn good on defense. They are awful on defense, as I just said. South Carolina, six and a half point favorite. I'll give Spencer Rattler credit, man. I, I, I think he has turned into a very nice college quarterback. It wasn't the path that he expected, any of us expected, but he was tough as nails against Georgia. I think South Carolina wins big here. Uh, Kentucky at Vanderbilt, Kentucky a 14-point favorite. I like Vandy to cover. I think Kentucky wins, but Kentucky has played three nobody opponents. Sorry, Akron, Eastern Kentucky, and Ball State. Um, Kentucky's played nobody. Three games at home. And keep in mind, they have a big home game next week against Florida. I think this is a trap spot for them. Noon kickoff against Vanderbilt. Kentucky wins 27-21. Vanderbilt covers. Vanderbilt can move the football now. And Kentucky's past defense has struggled early. Give me Kentucky to win a close one. Let's go out to the Pac-12. How about the Pac-12 in, in their final year? We got ourselves two more ranked matchups that we haven't talked about. Now UCLA is at Utah. Utah is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Total stay away to me. Utah still doesn't have cam rising UCLA has a true freshman quarterback in Dante Moore. No, thank you. Uh, Oregon state, a three and a half point three point favorite at Washington state. Um, this is the pack two game, right? They're the last two, they're holding out for dear life. And I saw a report. I didn't even get a chance to read it that they might go solo next year. They might be a two team league, uh, rather than joining the mountain West. Don't know what that means. Don't know if they play a conference championship game, regardless of record, But that is the latest whisper. Well, they'll play Saturday in Pullman. And let me tell you, I love those Cougars. Love those Cougars. Love them. Love them. Love them. Washington State wins and covers. Bottom line is this. Uh, I get the, the home team. and I get the better quarterback. Cam Ward is awesome for Washington State, okay? Washington State, remember? Remember that Colorado State team that gave Colorado fits last week? Washington State put up 50 on them and one going away. Now, granted Colorado state has changed quarterbacks since then, but 50 going away. They beat Wisconsin home. They're a really good football team. I like uh, Washington state in that game. I think that's it. Oklahoma big 12 opener at Cincinnati, Oklahoma is going to win. It's by how much. Uh, But I think that's really it. I think that's it. And I think that's all for, for, for this college football betting show, because frankly I've given about an hour of content and I'm losing my voice. So with that said, before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, thank you again for listening to the college football betting show. If you listen on the Aaron Torres pod feed, thank you for coming in and checking us out. Uh, You can go find us on the college football betting feed. Uh, Every Thursday is when we preview the big games and we have a lot of fun on this show. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to the college football betting feed, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. Uh, Also, if you are a listener of the Aaron Tours Pod, I'll be back on Friday. Normal show. Don't know yet what we'll be talking about, but we'll find some good stuff. And I think that's it. Thank you for listening. I will be back on next Thursday on this feed. Oh, by the way, enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. As I said, those weekends in June and July, and there's only baseball. And What am I going to do? We survive all those weekends in June and July for weekends like this. Cannot wait to watch. I'll be back.